a minister passing through his church in the middle of the day decided to pause by the altar to see who came to pray. Just then, the back door opened, and a man came down the aisle. The minister frowned as he saw the man hadn't shaved in a while. His shirt was torn and shabby, and his coat was worn and frayed. The man knelt and bowed his head, then rose and walked away. In the days that followed, at precisely noon, the preacher saw this chap. Each time he knelt just for a moment, a lunch pail in his lap. Well, the minister, suspicious grew. With a robbery man, a main fear, he decided to stop and ask the man, What are you doing here? The old man said he was a factory worker and lunch was half an hour. Lunchtime was his prayer time for finding strength and power. I stay only a moment because the factory is far away. As I kneel here talking to the Lord, this is kind of what I say. I just came by to tell you, Lord, how happy I've been since we found each other's friendship and you took away my sin. Don't know much of how to pray, but I think about you every day. So Jesus, this has been just checking in today. The minister feeling foolish told Ben that it was fine. He told the man that he was welcome to pray there any time. It's time to go and thanks, Ben said as he hurried to the door. Then the minister knelt there at the altar, which he'd never done before. His cold heart melted, warmed with love as he met Jesus there. As the tears flowed down his cheek, he repeated old Ben's prayer. I just came by to tell you, Lord, how happy I've been since we found each other's friendship, you, and you took away my sin. I don't know much of how to pray, but I think about you every day. So Jesus, this is me just checking in today. Past noon one day, the minister noticed that old Ben hadn't come. As more days passed and still no Ben, he began to worry some. At the factory, he asked about him, learning he was ill. The hospital staff was worried, but he'd given them a thrill. The week that Ben was with them brought changes in the ward. His smiles and joy contagious. Changed people were his reward. Were his reward. The head nurse couldn't understand why Ben could be so glad. When no flowers... Calls or cards came. Not a visitor he had. The minister stayed by his bed. He voiced the nurse's concern. No friends had come to show they cared. He had nowhere to turn. Looking surprised, old Ben spoke up with a winsome smile. The nurse is wrong. She couldn't know. He's been here all the while. Every day at noon, he comes here. A dear friend of mine, you see, he sits right down and takes my hand, leans over and says to me, I just came by to tell you, Ben, how happy I've been since we found this friendship. And I took away your sin. I think about you always, and I love to hear you pray. And so, Ben, this is Jesus checking in today.
Praise the Lord. Isn't it beautiful? What does that teach us? The importance of prayer. Just checking in. You know what? You don't have to wait till noon. You can talk to Jesus anytime. You don't need an earthly high priest. You don't need me to do it on your behalf. Although I do. I pray for each and every name in this place. And I'm not saying that to impress you. I'm saying that to let you know how much I love you in the name of the Lord. Because you are dear and your soul is dear. Uh, it is good to come together amongst the brothers and the sisters and worship God and praise Him and sing glories to His name. Amen. I love this song. I absolutely love this song. And to my heart the blood was applied. To my heart was the blood applied. In the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, that blood was applied to the doorposts of the houses. You remember that? They took a hyssop, put it into the blood and put it on the doorposts. And when the angel of death passed by, he saw the what? The blood. The blood. Oh, there is power in the blood. Wonderful working power in the blood. Of whom? Of Jesus Christ. And now, we don't need that blood to be on our houses. How terrible will it be? Your neighbor's coming around, and there you stand with your little thing, and you put the blood on your house. They go, oh, geez, they're going off, man. But praise the Lord, you know what? That blood is on the doorpost of our hearts, and it needs to shine out. And you know the same happens. People look at you, and the doorpost has got the blood of Christ, and they go, what? Are you crazy? I'm sold out for Christ. Yes. Absolutely, praise the Lord, amen. So we want to talk today about the accuser. This is Job part two, believe it or not. Uh, as we go through Job, I thought it was going to be six parts. But last week and praying this week, I thought we touched on, on the first chapter, we touched on Satan appearing in heaven. And as I praying, this word accuser constantly came up, an accuser, and, and I thought, look, Let's dig a deep, delve a little bit deeper in and talk about the accuser that we saw. So I want to talk about him today. Uh, in South Africa, I was in the army. And the first thing they do when you get into the army is they break you. They break your will. They break your own way of thinking down. And then they train you. And the way that they train you is that you can react under pressure it's, it's sort of like muscle memory. You know what to do when pressure is upon you. That is what they do. But one of the critical, the most critical things the army do is they identify the enemy. You know who you need to fight against. Not only do they tell you who the enemy is, they explain to you the wiles, the ways, how the enemy operates. Why is this important? It's important that you come against them, that you know how they think. If you can outthink the enemy, you've already won half the war. And this is what they did. And I don't know about you, brother and sister, but we are in a war. We're in a war, whether you like it or not. This is not a war where you can sit back and say, you know what, I don't want to be part of it. You are part of it. If you call yourself a child of God, a Christian, you are part of it. But let me add to that, even if you do not call yourself a child of God and you still breathe, you are also part of it. So you've got no choice. You've pulled into this war. 
And this war is for your soul. It is what it's for. Whether you're in the church or outside of the church. Whether you like it or whether you like it not. So this morning, allow me just to talk to you a little bit about the enemy. The old foe. The accuser. And I want to just make a statement at the start here. I by far haven't got all the details here for you today. It will take us another session, you know, another few weeks to, to, to unpack the whole. What I'm doing today is just touching a little bit of what we saw last time, last week in the first chapter of Job. So the accuser or the kategoros, that is what it is in Greek, the kategoros. It sounds nice if it flows off the tongue, isn't it? Kategoros. But it's the accuser. And we read about him in, in a few places. And I'm going to go and read first to you from Revelation chapter 12 verse 10 and tell you where this accuser is going to end up. What is his end? How wonderful and marvelous is it that we can open up the Bible and read about these things and know where he's going to end. It says in Revelation 12 verse 10, then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ have come. For the accuser of every of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. I don't hear any hallelujahs. Isn't that good news? I don't hear any amen shouted out. Come on, brother and sister. The accuser, the Bible says, is cast down. This is prophecy. It's going to happen. That old foe, the one that everybody wants to bring down, is going to be brought down by whom? By God Himself. You and I are not able to do it. And I say that purposely. And purposefully. You and I can't bring Him down. There's only one who will bring him down, and it's right there. He sees salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God. And the what? The power of his Christ have come. And if that power comes, what will happen? The accu accuser will be casted down. You see, he was in heaven, and we're going to see that today. And then he was casted down on the earth. This talks about a third cast down into the lake of fire. It's coming. He knows his end. You and I know his end. And that's why he's so desperate these days. I look upon the world, talk about mental illness. There are so many people who get medication for mental illness. You wouldn't believe it. You go to the doctor these days and you say, oh, I've just got a sniff in my nose. I feel a little bit sick. They'll give you medicine for mental illness. Mind over matter, isn't it? Oh, you think you feel sick. Maybe it's because you've got a little something wrong up there. Oh, no, doctor, it's only a sniff, you know. I'm, I'm just telling, it's no, 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 maybe it's up there. Let's dig deeper. And they start giving you these things. And you know what? I will tell you today, the medicine today makes you sicker, not healthier. 
It destroys people. It's not helping them. Oh, you're against now the medicine and all of the doctors. No, by far not. I believe that God gave us all of this wisdom and knowledge to make people. I'm not saying you shouldn't go to the hospital and get, get healing from there. No, I'm not saying that. But this is how it's happening. We are, we are in a time where the accuser is there and he's destroying lives. The Katagoros. This is the name given to the devil by the rabbis in the, in, in the, in the uh, olden times. The Katagoros. Now, let's go into this. In Job chapter 1, we see verse 6. He says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. Satan. What, why would he come amongst them? Because he has to. He has to. He, he operates under instruction. We need to understand that as a church. God instructs him to come. He can't just roam around. He's not his own boss. Although he thinks so, and although a lot of people give him power to think so, he's instructed to come and present himself before God. Who's got the power in that way? God has got it. And here he comes before him. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. He's just walking back and forth on it. What is he doing? He looks who he can accuse before God. Because we know what happened then. The Lord said to him, have you behold my servant Job? And he says, yes, I've seen him. I've seen Job, but you protect him so much I can't even touch him. In fact, I can't even bring an accusation against him. But then he brought an accusation on the back of that. He said the only reason why he's worshipping you so much is because you protect him so much. That's an accusation. He's not really want to follow you. It's just because you give him this nice sweet and Kool-Aid and everything and he's happy with that. And this is just on the back of that the Lord said, touch his possessions. And then he did that. You know he did that. But did Job turn against God? No, he didn't. He held on to his faith. It was shaken but not destroyed. And then again he came before the Lord a second time in that first chapter. We saw it all last week. And then the Lord said to him again, Have you behold Job? Look, he's standing still steadfast and firm. It's my words. And what did he say? He said, skin for skin. He's only doing it to cover his own skin. He will give up all his children and everything just for himself. And that's the world we are living in. People are just in it for themselves, aren't they? You see, but he's clever. Because he knows what the world system is all about. And that's what he throws in front of God. He says, skin for skin. Everybody is looking after their own skin in this world today. I've got to make it for me. And the rest can, you know, I don't care. They can do whatever they want to do. As long as I make it. And I'll step onto people to get to the highest spot in the company. Isn't that true? When did the Lord say? He said, okay, touch his skin then. And he went down and he hit him with these boils and all of these. You see, what I want to show you this morning is the accuser came in. And remember, he's going to and fro over the earth. He's got no headquarters. He's got no place of rest. Because as we have day here, there's night on the other side of the planet. And as we go into night, there's day on the other side. He's just moving along and going on. Accusing. That's what he will do. 
You will accuse every single small thing that I have in your life. But that wasn't the only way and the only time that we read about this. I absolutely love the next passage. And I've got a lot of scripture verses. You know me, I'm going to stay in the Word, okay? Is it okay with you? I was going to do it anyway. (laughs) Here we go. In Zechariah chapter 3, we find it. In Zechariah chapter 3 was 1. He says, then he showed me Joshua, the high priest. Joshua, the high priest. Do you see that? One would think, what is he going to accuse Joshua of? This is a high priest. And in, in fact, if we look at Joshua upon the face of the earth, people would look up to him and say, he's the intercessor for the nation on behalf of the nation to God. This is a special man. He should be sinless and blameless. Is that right? Isn't that what we look at our pastors to be and our ministers and our leaders in the church? This is what they look at. But everybody should be like that, not only them. So, Zechariah writes this down. He showed me the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. This is Jesus, the angel of the Lord. And Satan standing at his right hand to do what? To oppose him. Oppose who? He's opposing the testimony of Joshua, the high priest. And this is what he do. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. And this is not a brand plucked. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? You see who rebuked Satan? Who? Jesus did. But see how he do it. This is important for you and for me to understand. You get a lot of ministries out there, spiritual warfare ministries, and we're going to take on the devil. We're going to fight the devil. And you know what they do? Foolishly, they come in and say, we rebuke you. Who are you? Who do you think you are? We rebuke you, Satan. You ain't got nothing. You don't even know what you're doing. But you know what? I'll give it to you that you give. Do you do it out of foolishness? You don't know better. Here we find Jesus, the angel of the Lord, okay? Who is the creator. And see how he does it here. He says, and Satan's standing there, and the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you. You want to know in the Old Testament the name Lord is the title of God. That's his deity. You need to understand that when he do it, He's doing it through the deity of God. This is important. I can tell you, friends, I've seen some of my friends in South Africa going into spiritual warfare, want to take on demons and the devil, and their lives are wrecked today. Wrecked. I'm not asking you, I'm telling you this out of experience. Here, he could have done it in his own power. But see how he does it. We're going to learn a few things about him today, isn't it? I think for some, that's the first learning we need to take on. He is not. He is a a strong foe against us. We need to understand him. I love in verse 3, he says, Now Joshua was clothed in filthy garments. You see that? In filthy garments. And was standing before the angel. Then... He answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, 
See, I've removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head, and they put the clothes on him, and the angel of the Lord stood by. Now notice very clearly what's happening here. The devil, the enemy, can only accuse you of the sin in your life before God. It's the sin that you conduct in. This is what he's telling us here. He will not go before the Lord and say, Hey, God, have you seen Kylie? She's such a blameless person. Have you seen Glenn? Man, he is such an outstanding man. Is that how he's doing it? No, he comes with the sin. Here they stand before him. He opposes him on two things. First of all, on the filthy garments that he's wearing. Filthy garments here is connected to what? It's connected to iniquity. You see that? He says, see, I've removed your iniquity. He says, take away the filthy garments from him. That's connected to iniquity. Sin, that's what it is. Take away his sin. That's what he's saying, in, in other words. How wonderful is it? How marvelous that our Lord can do that. No one else can do that. No one. The Pope can't do it if you put that money in that machine and confess your sins. He can't do it. I've come out of a cult where the priest stands up with his hands and he says, your sins are you forgiven. He can't do it. There's only one who can do it. And here we see the angel of the Lord and what did he instruct him? He says, take away the filthy garments. And not only that, that is the sin that we conduct in your, conduct in your flesh. Oh, there's a song that I love. A song that talks about this. Um, and I'm, I'm just, I want to sing it to you so badly. I know it's a beautiful song. It's about a rope of righteousness. I am covered over with the rope of righteousness my Father gave to me. I am covered over with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. He lives for me. How wonderful is it to know that He is the one who takes away our filthy garments. But not only that, have you noticed? There's another accusation here. He says, and let's put on Him a clean turban. What has that got to do with it? Where is the turban? It's on the head, isn't it? So this is the, the garments, and then they wear turbans in that time. So what is he telling us? There's two things here important. The filthy garments compares to the sin. Isaiah 61 verse 10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for He has clothed me with what? Garments of salvation. Praise the Lord. He has covered me with the rope of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorns himself with her jewels. And here he stands there. He says, there is Joshua before the Lord. The accusation. I can see this playing out in my mind. There is him, the accuser. There is the angel of the Lord and there he stands. I don't know, maybe head down. There stands Joshua. And you know what he's got on to him? He's got filthy garments on. He's got a turban on his head. And the accuser wants to accuse. He wants to see, see how filthy he is. And that is what He do with you and me when you stand before the Lord. He says, look at Him. He's filthy. 
His head, his thought is not even pure. And what did the Lord say? He says, take away that filthy garment. How wonderful is that? It is on his word that he's doing it. Take it away. Secondly, he says, give him a new turban. It's all about the thoughts. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he says, clean turban. This is a, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect in the will of God. There's two sins that people do. One is in the flesh, and one is in the mind. And he clears it. He gives us a new mind. You know what repentance means? Repentance means a change of mind about what you do. The accuser will come and he will accuse for those things. So this is a beautiful picture behind the scenes of the accuser coming and the Lord washes it away. He takes away our sins. He throws it into the sea of forgetfulness. And he puts up a sign there which says, no fishing allowed. And you know what we do? We oftentimes go back and we try to fish those thoughts back. Those things we do. Now why is this? It's because they sin. In 1 John chapter 3 verse 8, he says, He who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For the purpose of the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. The works of the devil. Now first of all, we see here one thing. The devil has sinned. And what does he want you and me to do? He wants us to continue in sin. You say, wait a minute, wasn't it Adam who sinned first? That's a good question, isn't it? Adam was the first man. But who sinned before him? The devil sinned. I'm going to show that to you now. He's the accuser. But you see, this is one thing, even with gossiping. You know when people gossip, the only thing they're telling you is, you are at that level and I'm at this level and I can't get up to your level, so what am I going to do? I'm going to gossip about you to try to pull you down to my level. You see, with sin it works the same. If you sin, you're down here. And what do you do? You want to get others to sin with you so that you feel better. Isn't that right? So he sinned. And what did he do? He came to influence mankind to sin. And they did. He has sinned from the beginning. We're going to look at two things. We're going to look at his sin quickly, and then we're also going to look at his works like we want to identify the works of the enemy. First of all, Isaiah chapter 14 verse 12. Where did the devil sin? Let me show you. He says in Isaiah 14 12, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground. You who weakened the nations. Is the world's nations weakened today? And they are getting weaker every single day. They in their own foolishness, they think they're getting better. Even America, but they are getting weaker. Even China. They say China is going to be the big, next big great power. You know what? They are going to become weaker. Because he weakens them. For you have said in your heart, now look at all of the I wills. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of congregation with the farther side of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet you shall be brought out to see all the lowest depths of the pit. So what's the problem here? It's pride. 
It's about me, myself, and I. Three's company. This is where it started. You see, he was in heaven. He was a syrup. He was created by God. And here he goes on, what? To bless, not to weaken. He was supposed, but then inside of him was found pride. And look at all of the I wills. And then the biggest one of all, I will be like the most high. What was the problem in the Garden of Eden? He came to Eve and he said, did God say? And what did he, what did he say to her? He said, if you're going to eat like it, you are going to be like God. And then you have churches today and they, they preach from the pulpits that we are small messiahs. You're a small God sitting there. You know, they've all fallen for the trap because they all say, I will, I will, I will. And they need to be shaken up and woken up. He got them. And you know what the I wills do? It will weaken you to the lowest, uh, com- uh, lowest point. Why? Because are you as strong as God? No, you're the weak one. And that's how he weakens the nations here. He says, I will do this. We find an example of this in the book of Ezekiel uh, that we've seen. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, he says, And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms him into the, an angel of the light. Now, let me just talk about this now. A lot of people think, yeah, they're going to see Satan as this little devil with horns and with a tail and with a pitchfork. Isn't that how they portray him? The devil. But friends, that's not how he is. I reckon if he walks into this room, he will be one of the most likable people. He might be one of the most beautiful people who walk in here. And immediately you might say, geez, I like that. I like that man. That's not how he is. He was created beautiful by God. Look at this, Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre, and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You were sealed, uh, the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty. Now, let me give you a background here. There was an actual king of Tyre. But this is a type which is given to us explaining Lucifer. This is explaining him, and you'll see that in a minute. But first of all, we need to understand how our enemy looks. He's not that devil walking in with a pitchfork, but he's beautiful, full of wisdom. He says it right there. He says, thus says the God, you were seal of perfection. Have you seen a perfect being, a perfect person? That's him. He was like that. So there was a real king who, who was the seal of perfection, but like I say, he demonstrated Lucifer as well. Full of wisdom and perfect in what? In beauty. He was a beautiful being. Again, we go back to the Garden of Eden. When Eve saw him, she saw beauty. That is what attracted her. And why I just added, beauty still attracts our ladies today, isn't it? The beautiful things. <laughs> but he was attracted to that. And then he goes on to say in verse 13, You were in Eden. Now, was that king in Eden? No, he wasn't in Eden. So now, obviously, he's talking about Lucifer. He says, You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Sardius, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, 
emerald with gold. Now if you fast forward a little bit and you look at the priests when they were in the nation, this is explaining them. So not only was he beautiful, but there is also a connection with that that he was like in a higher position than anybody else. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day that you were created. So we see here an angel of music. An angel of music. Now let me tell you that he has hijacked the music of the world. He has hijacked that. And I can tell you now that the music of the world has now moved into the church. And through the music of the world moving into the church, the spirit of the world has moved also into the church. And it's bringing the church down. It's not uplifting it. And here, that's why we love to sing songs that is scripture-based songs. Because if you listen to the songs today that you find in a lot of churches, it is about what? Bless me, Lord. We are going to be kingdom builders, Lord. Have you heard those songs? This is the attack of the enemy. You need to understand and know the enemy. This is how he operates. So, at this point in time, will you agree with me that this is a very beautiful being? He's very beautiful, perfect, full of wisdom. So, let nobody come and tell you that, you know, he's this ugly looking guy and all the children are going to run away when they see him. No, they will be attracted to him. And you will be. And that is one of the dangers of this man, of this angel. Now, look at verse 14, Ezekiel 28, 14. You were the anointed cherub who covers. You see, he was even anointed. Who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day that you were created. Until what happened? Iniquity was found in you. And I already showed you the iniquity. In Isaiah, he said, I will, I will. Pride came into a life. I will be like the most high. That was the iniquity. Now look at this. When he appeared before God, and he said, where do you come from? He said he was walking to and fro over what? Over the air, over the earth. Why? Because he wants to see who he can accuse. Look from where he's fallen. He was on the mountain of God, walking to and fro where? Amongst the fiery stones, which is with God. How wonderful is that? But then he had to fall because iniquity was found in him. Verse 16, he says, By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within, and you sinned. Yes, he's talking about the king on the earth as well, but that's a picture of Satan. Therefore I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O covering seraph, from the midst of the fiery stones. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty, you see. You corrupt your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before the kings that they might gaze at you. Can you see this morning where Lucifer came from? Don't let people tell you he's this ugly, beastful thing. No, he was beautiful and he still is. He still is to this day as beautiful as he's portrayed there. I love it when the Lord says in Luke 10, 18, he says, and he said to them, I saw Satan fall like a lightning from heaven. What happened? You can go back in the Old Testament. A third of the angels that rebelled, rebelled with him, were cast down onto the earth. 
Some of them is still operating in the sphere, which I'll show you now. Some of them is locked up in chains under the earth. This is what we find demon spirits. Now let's look quickly at his wiles, now that we identify them. His ways of working. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Where, where is he? He's walking around like a roaring lion, a hungry lion. Listen, he is eating up souls, but he never gets satisfied. And he will not get satisfied until that time. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, he says, For to this end I also wrote that I might put you to the test, whether you are obedient in all things. Now whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if I indeed have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that, that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. Look at verse 11. Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. My question to you this morning, are you ignorant of his devices? You know there's people today, even in the church, who do not even believe that he exists. That he exists. I read a passage that a rabbi, a rabbi uh, during the week, a rabbi wrote a, a little bit of passage there, and he says, the notion of the devil is an Old Testament notion, which the old rabbis believed. But in modern, listen to this, in modern uh, um, a democracy, in a, in a democratic way of thinking about, he does not exist. He's deceived, and he's wrong. And this is why we need to know about this. Look, I know it is not an uplifting message to hear about the old foe, but he's there, and he's real, and we need to understand his ways. First of all, let me say to you that he is not omnipresent. Who knows what omnipresent means? It means that he's everywhere, every time. There's only one who's omnipresent, and that is God. God is here, and what did he do to be omnipresent? Not only is he omnipresent because he's God, but he gave us his Holy Spirit, who lives in all of us, and he's with us. So he is not. He can't be at every single place in the world at the same time. And this amazes me, because I've heard people say, oh, the devil this week was on my back and he was riding me. And I think, wow, why are you so special that he picked you out of a billion people that he's going to be with you? Because if he's, if he's with you and riding you, everybody's free. <laughs> oh, the devil is on my back, you know, he gave me a hard time. Yes, we say it as a matter of saying, but it's not right, friends. He's not omnipresent. He can only be in one place at one time. And although your soul is important for him to destroy, I think he's got other bigger people that he wants to bring down as well. So how does he operate? Well, he works through people and through demons. Demon spirits. That's how he works. That's how he's everywhere as well. And not by himself. You say, well, prove this to us. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 11, he says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. You see, we're instructed to do this, but people don't want to listen. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against what? Principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. You see, there are many of them. Many of them. And this is how we work through them. But not only that, 
In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, we read, he says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked according to the cause of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air. That's him. That's Lucifer. The spirit who now works in whom? The sons of disobedience. So he works through all of these principalities and powers. He works through them, but he also works through people. Yes? That's not a shock to you, is it? You know how many times we see a person do something, we say, he's the devil. Well, it could be right. He's not the devil, but yes, it could be right because he's a son of disobedience. And you know these people who come on TV and they do a murder and they say, oh, the devil told me to do it. No, it's not the devil, but it could be one of his powers and principalities. Yes, in a way you can say that he's one of his wiles. But you know, we need to understand him and learn. And this is one of the ways that he worked the sons of disobedience. There's two kinds of sons in the world. Sons of God and sons of disobedience. There's no gray area. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13. For such are false apostles. Now he tells us some of these sons of disobedience, how they look. Deceitful workers transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder. Listen, no wonder. For Satan himself into an angel of light. Therefore it's no great thing if his ministers also transform them into ministers of righteousness whose end will be according to their works. Now, I need to elaborate a little bit here, because you know what? I find a lot of people naive in the churches. Let me explain. Not everybody who open up a Bible and start preaching from the Bible is from God. Did I shock you with that? I hope so if you didn't know it, so that you can hear. Here is a classic example thereof. He's, he's wise. He's using people to preach his message, which is just a watered-down message from the true gospel. And you know what? It's your and my task to listen to that. The Bible says, John writes it down, he says, test every spirit. Why would he say that? Why would he say test every spirit? Because of this. Because there is false apostles, deceitful workers, and they transform themselves into the apostles of Christ. Who did that? They themselves. Why? Because they are sons of disobedience. Whose instructions are they following? God's instruction? No. They are following His instructions, the accuser. And you have to, we have to understand this. Oh, but what about the unity about the whole church? There's going to be such a big unity. You know, we take hands on this side with the Muslims, and on this side we take the hand of the Pope, and we say, Oh, kumbaya, we're all brothers in the Lord. It's not going to work like that. Why? Because there are so many false teachers in there. And you know what they want to do? They want to weaken your spiritual life. We need to know this. This is how he operates. You see, it's a far distance from that little devil with the pitchfork, isn't it? They transform them into the angel of light. So, let's look at his ways. Ephesians 6.14 he says, stand therefore having girded your waist with truth, 
having put on a breastplate of righteousness, having shot your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. Now, the reason why Paul writes this down is because all of those areas which you read about there is areas in your life where he will attack you. That's where he will attack you. I mean, if you go into the old time into a, into a warfare and you just walk up there to the thing and there's archers on the other side and you just walk with your sword and you go, man, we're going to have war there. What's going to happen? They're going to shoot you. They're going to kill you with the archers. So what do you do now? You build a little shield for you, isn't it? So next time you walk in, you walk behind the shield. Why is the shield there? To protect you from the darts. So we put things in place to protect us. The similar thing happens here. Paul says you need to have all of these things because in all of those areas on the board there is where he's attacking you. All of those. Each one of those. He lies to us. He traps us. He discourages you. And then he snares you into the place where he wants you to be. He and his angels works daily to encourage and confuse us, to give us an imbalance and makes us indifferent. You know these indifferent people and when they say, I don't care. I don't, you know, I don't care. You know, let's, let's just go on with Kumbaya. I don't care. But that's what he do. That's his wiles and that's how he operates. So out of these passages here, let me give you a few things to watch out for. First of all, lies and blind, and he blinds the truth. This is the first thing he says. We find it in there. He says, stand girding your waist with truth. You see that? What is he going to do? He's going to attack the truth. He's gonna, and we need to watch out for that. What is the opposite of a truth? A lie. The opposite of a truth is a lie. So if God is true, what will he want to do? He want to want to lie. Now, he's not going to come in and lie in your face. He's going to take a little bit of the truth, pull it over, water it down, and through that he's going to lie to you. Who knows rat poison? is 95% of good food, 5% of poison. What gets you in the end? The poison. The 5% gets you. This is what he does. He operates in that. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3. But even if our gospel is veiled, which it is, praise the Lord for that, it is veiled to those who are being perishing. You understand that concept? You see it. We are saved. We went through the veil, which is His body, Jesus Christ. But other people stand on this side and they say, I can't see what you see. And they're not lying to you. They are talking the truth. Our gospel is veiled. The Bible says He will not throw His pearls before the swine. It's not to be made a mockery of. And now He says, although it's veiled, it's only veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has done what with? blinded them, who do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. I've told you the story about our steakhouse in South Africa, didn't I? We had a steakhouse and it was dark. We, you know, the windows is dark, so you, you get people that ambience of when they walk in, they lose a little bit of time. There's method behind that because if you lose time, you eat a little bit more relaxing, you spend more time, you make more money, okay? I've given away the secret now. But you know what? At night time we close it. 
It's a dark place in this heat from all of the refrigerators. What does that bring? Cockroaches. Yes, every restaurant's got them. Everyone. Oh, yeah, I'm not going to eat out anymore. Look, your house could have them as well. <laughs> Let's not go there. Anyway, so the next day we walk in and I open up the door. It's now, uh, as I open it up, the sunlight shines on the back of me. And I open it up, what do I see run around? Little cockroaches. Where are they running to? To the dark corners. This is the same here, friends. He sees it right there. He says, wow, you know, it's this veil there and it's the darkness in there. The only thing that's going to make those cockroaches of sin run away in your life is what? Is what? Come on. He says it right here. It is the glory of Christ. It is the light of the gospel that needs to shine in. But you know what? He doesn't want it. He says, no, no, no. It's so cozy in here. Come on. Keep the door closed. Keep the light out. Haven't you noticed that? All sin is conducted in secret where the light can't shine. Keep the light out. Once you open up the light, oh man, we need dark glasses now. Come on, keep it out. He operates in that way. And the only way that he can operate in that way is telling you a lie. Telling you a lie. He knows the scriptures very well and he will twist them to fit him. You remember Jesus when he went into the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4? What happened there? He took him in there on the high. He said to him, he says, make, make out of those stones bread. There's a scripture which says he could do that. He said, you will not tempt God. It is written. He knows the scriptures and he will bend them. Second thing to watch out for, he amplifies pleasure of sin while playing down the true outcome of sin. Selah, think about it. You know, Moses calls this in Hebrews the passing pleasures of sin. And I like that. That's why I put it in there. The passing pleasures of sin. And this is what Satan does. He says, man, it's going to be so great. Woo, man, to do this, you're going to feel so good. Come on, let's do it like Nike say. Do it now. Do it. Just do it. But you know, he don't make you to think about the true outcomes thereof. What's going to happen at the end of this? Judas Iscariot was after the money. And he just raced for the money, didn't he? Hey, it's not good. What if somebody comes up to you and they, and they say, look, it's going to be so great. Just jump in the car. Go with us. It's going to... And then afterwards, you have the effects thereof. And this is what he does. He uses our emotions and moods as an open door. Hey, we all need to listen to this. This is what he loves to play on. Our emotions and our moods. Oh, I was depressed. That's why I did it. You can't blame me. I mean, that, that got me out of depression. I laid into the bottle and it made me, you know, like, like, uh, I forgot about all my problems. What happens after you wake up and you're sober again? So it starts all over again. You know, it, it is all of these emotions. I was mad. That's why I did it. They drove me to the point of wrath. That's why I did it. You see, that's what he do. We need to understand that's his wiles, dear friends. I was so happy, or she made me feel so good. And that's why I conducted into this out-of-my-marriage affair with her. She made me feel so good. I felt as if I was walking on the clouds. You see, he inflames these passions. He stirs up old appetites of sins within people. That's what he does through his agents. Remember, he's not everywhere every time, but he uses people to do that. You know, somebody comes up to you. 
and they start talking about appetites you used to. Wait a minute, you, you were not like this. Before this, you know, we used to go out and do all of these naughty things. What, what are you telling me now? Jesus? Who's this Jesus? Come on, man. You remember how good it was when we did that. You see how we use people to stir up appetites, and we need to be careful of this. And like I say, he uses people to lead us astray. You know, false friendships or invitations. And he promotes unforgiveness. If you can have somebody that you're not going to forgive, man, he promotes that. And we need to be absolutely careful about it. And then he masterfully packages uh, sin as something that is really attractive. Really attractive. Man, if you, if you see this thing you want, you just get into it and you do it. And this is immoral temptations like fornications. Romans chapter 1 talks all about that, isn't it? Man with man, woman with woman, with, which is an awful sin before God. He gives a beautiful attraction. What if somebody walks in here and they walk up to you with a bag and they say, look, I want you to put your hand into this bag and you pull out of it a handful of the stuff in it. But it's an old rubbish bag. And you can smell it if he walks in. And you can see as you look into it, there's maggots in there. Did I say that right? Maggots. 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 You see the maggots in there and you walk in there and, you, and, and I say, come on, John. I've got a beautiful thing. Look at this. Just grab a handful. Will you grab a handful? No. You go, oh, no. Jeez, you're stinking. Look at what it is. I'm not going to dirty my hands. You know, ah, it's so you know, compulsive. I'm not going to do that. But hey, if I bring that same bag to you and I put it in a beautiful, beautiful, uh, on the outside container and I sort of put some something in there which makes it smell a little bit better and, and I hide the maggots underneath a thin layer of things and I walk up to you now and I say, look at this, it smells good, it looks good. Why don't you just grab a handful of yourself? You know, maybe I lay a few coins, a few gold dollar coins on the top there. You go, wow, I want that. And you put your hand in there, what are you going to get? You're going to get the same result. Yuck! Wah. And this is what he does masterfully. He do this. Now, let's finish this morning by answering, how do we oppose him? How do we oppose him? First of all, friends, we submit yourself to God. That's the first thing you do. You submit to God. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, he says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Two kinds of people, sons of disobedience and sons of God. If you commit yourself to God, who comes and lives inside of you? His Spirit. God is coming in and living in... It doesn't make you a God, okay? Let's just get that right. But He comes and lives inside of you. And then He changes you into the image of His Son. And now He says, He who is in us is greater than He who is in the world. Where is Satan now and His influence? He's on the outside. Where He belongs. So the first thing you do to oppose Him is not to walk out there and say, I rebuke you. And No, no, no. You submit to God. Get your life right with God. And you know what's going to happen when you get your life right with God? He is going to forgive you the sins that you're conducting. So the devil has got no point where he did early on when I showed you Joshua with the filthy garments to come and say, look at the filthy garments. No, that's been taken care of. You are free. You are washed by the blood of the Lamb. 
That is how you submit to God. You come to the cross of Christ and you bow your knee and you confess your sins to God because you've sinned against Him. And you say, please, Lord, forgive me my sins. Wash me clean with the blood of the Lamb. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Let me tell you something, dear friend. The moment you do that and God comes down from heaven and touches you, from that point in time, He sends into you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the light of God which will go into every dark corner of your heart and He will he will chase away the cockroaches. That's what the light of God does. So the first thing to resist the devil is not to go into the spiritual warfare with, with a, a, a fighting mindset. It is to submit to God. Submit to Him. He's got more power than you. He's wiser than you. He will lift you out of this if you just fall on that rock. The second thing we do is we resist the devil. How do we do that? He doesn't say fight the devil. Have you noticed? He says resist him. How do you resist the devil? You use the scriptures. It is written. The scriptures. This is the truth, friends. Fill your life with the truth. The truth shall set you free. When he comes to you, when, he, when he's come to you and he says, wow, you know, you're going in for that doctor's thing. Ah, it's going to be bad. You're going to die within a day. You know, people are going to worry. You know, you're going to start there. Say, stop it right there. The word of the Lord says, I'm in his hands and nothing will happen to me if he doesn't permit it. Look, I might pass away because of the sickness that come over me. But you know what? I'm at peace with God. That's the truth. That's the truth. That's how you resist Him. And, and one thing that I didn't put up there, which just comes to mind, when you go back to Ephesians chapter 6, He says, stand therefore fast. Have you noticed that? He doesn't say walk, and He doesn't say charge. You know what walk is? You walk either away from your problems, like a lot of people do, flee away from it, never face the issues, or, it, or they walk to the problem. He never says we need to walk to the problem. He never says charge to the problem. Oh, we're going to take it. No, no. No, no. He says stand, therefore. Stand. Again, I take you back to the Old Testament. Here is a nation uh, led by God out of the land of Egypt. And as they went, and there is the sea, they are cornered into a corner, and they look back, and they could see the dust of the army, the Egyptian army coming in the distance. They can see how ravishly, we're going to kill you. You see, that's Satan. He always brings the bad news, brings you down. We're going to kill you. Look at, look at all the dust. Look at, your, look at your chariots. Look at your warriors. Here we come. Ah, we're going to bring you down. This is how Satan do it with you and me. And you know what? They, they could do one of two things. Jump into the sea and drown and try to swim or start running into all directions. What, what did Moses say? Come on, what did he say? Stand. Stand. And watch your deliverance. How do you resist the devil? You stand. You stand on what? You stand on the Word. You stand on the Word of God. You do it like Jesus did it. You say, it is written. He comes to you and He says this, and you, you say to Him, wait a minute. It is written in the Word of God. He hates it. 
He hates it with a passion. His, his principalities and its powers and all of they hate the Word of God. Why do you think they are throwing the Word of God out of the churches these days? Why do you think that? It's because He hates it. Away with the Word, they say these days. It's a, it's a book full of dusty old pages. It's not. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 4. Who knows what it says? It is living. Uh, chapter 4 verse 12. It is living. It is powerful. It cuts between, it's a, a, a sharp to its sword. It cuts between bone and marrow, spirit and soul. That's what the Word of God is. It is living. We resist Him. We submit ourselves to God. Then we put on the, the armor of God. The armor of God. And what is that? I've, I, you know, it, I've had somebody one day and they say, well, you know what, I, I clothe myself every day. I don't know, don't care how you do it. But the armor of God is truth. It's truth. Walk in the truth. If the accuser comes, speak the truth. Tell the truth. Stand in the truth. It is righteousness. You know what righteousness is? Righteousness is living a life acceptable to God. Stop living immoral lives. Willingness to preach the gospel, as my brother said earlier today. Salvation. The salvation, the faith and the word of God. Why the willingness of preaching the gospel? Because, friend, if you're going to do that and help others, you are growing in your own faith as well. And then, finally, before we pray, are there two more? Be with the body of Christ. This is important. Be with the body of Christ. I was sitting there and I, I actually for two days I thought, how can I put this point down. How can I write, come to church? I could have said it. Come to church. Be faithful in church. But then people say, oh, you just want to get deceitful. No, no. You know, this is about resisting the accuser. How do you do that? You come to church. I should have said it just like that. Well, I said it now. It's not written like that. I've written it down and saying, be with the body of Christ. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another and as much as more as you see the day approaching. So friends, coming to church is important. For why? To support one another. What did we do this morning? People were standing up. People became very emotional. People said, you know, there's somebody. I've put my hand on the lady there and I'm in church now. I want to put my hand on the church and I want to pray. I want to be that connection. I want to be that connection. Church is important to resist the devil. There was the story of this man who used to go to church and he was on fire for God. And then they, he didn't turn up and didn't turn up. One, it was one Sunday and then he came and then he went away for two Sundays and then he came maybe two Sundays and then he went away for one Sunday. And you know what happened? The pastor went to his house and they were sitting around a fire. Some of you heard me say this before, but I'll say it again. And he sat down, and the pastor sat down, and there's the fire. There were no words spoken. So everybody looked into the fire. And the pastor took a stick, and there was one coal that was lying in the fire. What color is it? Red hot. Red hot. And he took the stick and sort of pushed it, pushed it, pushed it, pushed it out of the flames. And both of them looked at this red hot coal lying there. What happens when it gets cold? turns black, gets cooler, gets cooler. Both of them looked at it and they looked up at each other and the man said, Pastor, I get the message. I'll come to church. I want to become red hot again. (laughs) 
But friends, that's true. Come, come, be, be amongst brothers and sisters. Don't isolate yourself when it happens because he loves that. And then finally, friends, prayer is one of the most important things we can use to oppose the enemy. 2 Corinthians 10, 4, he says, For the weapon of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself in the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Where do you do that? When you pray. When you pray. You bring your, your prayers in, into obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish uh, all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled the accuser. Friends, I've got so much more to say about him. There's so many things which I read in books and I hear people say about him and I think, what? You're giving him authority which he never had, which he hasn't got. You're giving him ground in your life which doesn't belong to him. Be careful of that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we worship you and we praise you in this morning. Father, we thank you I know, Lord, that whenever we preach about the enemy, the accuser, Satan, Lucifer,